to Rock Hills. We are so glad to have all of you guys here with us, especially if it's your first time today. We want you to know that you are welcome here at Rock Hills. The very reason that we're here is to love God, love others, help people find and follow Jesus. So that's what we're here to do. And I especially want to acknowledge some of our students that are going to put that into action this week. We've got a group of world changers that are going to an event called World Changers. So if I could have our high school students that are going on this mission trip, if you guys would join me up here in front of the stage, we want to pray for you guys. They are literally leaving as soon as the service is over to go on their mission trip. And uh, Jeff and Stephanie, our leaders who are taking them, if you will join me up here as well. And we want to pray for you guys as a church. They are going to go to hot and sweaty Louisiana, and they're going to go help people who are in bad circumstances to get their homes repaired, uh, to get some of the things that they need. And uh, these students have a choice to go. They work hard so that they can go and serve other people. So I'm real proud of all of these students. And uh, so if you guys would, as a church, if you would just stretch your hands out towards these students and our leaders and even the others uh, that are on their way, and let's just uh, pray for them that God blesses them as they go. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your power and your presence and your purpose goes with each one of these students, Father, and our leaders as they go. Father, we thank you that you go before them, that you are with them, Father, that you guide them and empower them. And this is going to be a week when they're able to shine the light of Christ everywhere that they go. Lord, we pray uh, that you would use them in a mighty way, that it would impact others' lives, but it would also impact their lives, Father. We thank you that you go before them, that you keep them safe, that you watch over them. And Father, as a church family, we speak our blessings over them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for joining me in prayer. You guys can go on and be seated, and we're going to say goodbye to y'all here in just a little bit. I want to let y'all know about a few things, though, ways that you can support them. Uh, throughout the week. One, uh, there's some bracelets out at our our connecting center out in the lobby that has the names of the students who are participating as well as our leaders. If you would just pick up one of these on the way out, even if you don't know who that that student is, and let that be the person that you're praying for all week long. And keep that with you so that you can remember to pray for them. Also, there's some sheets of paper out there that give a simple way that you can encourage our students as they go. It's got an email address on there where you can send them an encouraging note while they're at uh, on this mission trip. And they will print that out for them and put it in a mailbox for them so they can get encouraged during the week. So I encourage you... Do one of these, both of these, but we encourage you to be a part of that. One more thing that we want you guys to know about that's uh, real important to our church family here of uh, what God's been doing in us. You may remember, uh, if you've been around for the last couple of months, that uh, we've had a transition as far as our children's ministry, and um, we've been praying for the right person to step into that role to lead our children's ministry, and God has answered our prayers tremendously in sending us Callie, if you'll come on up here and join us. Callie Singletary. Oh, she's behind me. Now, you guys may say I recognize Callie, and it would be true because uh, when we had a transition, I asked Callie if she would step in in the interim while we figured out what we were going to do, and she wholeheartedly said, yes, I'll do it. I'll do whatever needs to be done. 
as she got in there and served, she realized how much she loved serving children. And this is not because it was a new thing. Callie has been a children's director before. She's from Rockport, and uh, Tiffany and I knew her and her husband, Aaron, who plays guitar for us. Uh, We were at the same church in Rockport. So I have seen her in action, and I've seen how hard she works and how much she loves the kids. And uh, so we are so excited to have you, Callie, on board with us as our children's director. I say all this because I want you to put a name and a face together, and also there are some of you here that I would like for you to introduce yourself to Callie afterwards and say, how can I help? One of the most important questions you can ask in the life of a church is, how can I help? Because we could use some more people back in our children's ministry, whether that's once a month or more often, but I want you to introduce yourself to Callie and uh, help us have an absolutely phenomenal kids' ministry because we want our kids to grow up to know and love Jesus, and Callie is wholeheartedly ready to do that. So you guys give Callie a hand. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask you before you leave, Callie. If you will, join me. Let's pray one more time because we can't pray too much in church, right? It's all right. Let's pray for Callie. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Callie. And we thank you, Father, that you sent her and her husband Aaron here to Rock Hills, Father, and that uh, you have a great future for them and that you're going to use them in a mighty way for the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you uh, that you have equipped Callie, Father, and you give her wisdom and discernment as she leads our children. Father, we pray that uh, she would have everything that she needs, all the volunteers that she needs to have a great and successful children's ministry. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And one bit of good news. Thank you, Callie. We will have a reception immediately afterwards as soon as we get rid of our students because we don't want them to eat all the cake. But uh, we've got a reception out in the lobby afterwards, and uh, we'd love for you to stick around, enjoy some cake with us, and introduce yourself to Callie. Thank you guys so much for being here. We're going to get ready to start the message. forgot to mention, but middle school students, if you're still in here and would like to go to your vertical class, it is now open, so you're welcome to go to that. Hey, we're continuing in our our series, the book of Acts. We're talking about Acts being the next chapter. We did the first half of this book last fall, and we're picking it back up in the second half. And this is why we do this. We, we, We take series here in the church because we want to teach you guys about what the Bible says to our lives. And sometimes we teach topical series. Sometimes we answer your questions like we did in the Hot Seat series. And there will be sometimes when we go through books of the Bible so that we can dig in deeper because the Bible is absolutely important to everything that we do here as a church. We're not just here so we can all feel better about ourselves, right? I mean, there's a lot of places where we could do that and ways that we could do that. But we're here because we want to know what God has to say to each one of our lives. We can't do that apart from the Bible, the Word of God. If by any chance you don't have a Bible, 
We've got extras out there. If you have one and you don't understand the translation and you would like a different Bible, we have extra Bibles out at our Connecting Center. You can pick one up anytime. You're welcome to have one of those. Also, I encourage you, uh, if you use technology much, check out uh, the Bible app. Uh, from version, you can pull up all the different translations and you can pull up scriptures and reading plans. But I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to read the book of Acts as we go through it. Last week, we, we kind of took a peek at chapters 13 and 14. Today, we're going to look at chapter 15. And chapter 15 is really interesting because here's what's happened. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on people who who believe, and all of a sudden, the church is born. There's been persecution. There's been these incredible miracles. Last week, we saw Paul and Barnabas go out on this incredible adventure on the first missionary journey, and they see God show up in amazing ways. And then they come back to kind of home base, which is Antioch at this time. They come back, and it's like chapter 15 is almost a pause button in the action. Because we're going to get right back into the action here in the chapters to follow. We're going to go back on more adventures. But they come back home to Antioch and we're going to stop and we're going to take a breath. Because in this, as things are starting to move and they're starting to move so quickly, it's like the pause is just to make sure we're all on the same page. Do we understand why we gather here together I mean, why we gather here together on Sunday mornings. Why do we do this? That's much of what they were doing in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. As they gathered back together, they said, let's make sure that we've got it right. Because if we're going out and we're all just doing our own thing, then we're all going to have a different message. And this isn't really going to matter. But as they stop in chapter 15, they're going to take a step back and they're going to look at some important issues and uh, I don't know about you guys, but if you ever have to stop and talk about important issues in your house, right? It's always not a, necessarily a fun conversation, right? If you get that uh, phone call from your wife, guys, that says, we need to talk when we get home. You're just like, oh, crud, what did I do, you know, or what's going on? That's almost what happens in chapter 15 here is the church says, wait a minute, we need to have a talk. We need to have a discussion, to make sure we know what the church is all about. So Acts chapter 15, verse 1, says this, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here's what happens. Christianity is spreading like crazy all over the Roman Empire. There's converts, people who have been Jewish all of their lives and believed in God and have been waiting for a Messiah, all of a sudden believe this is the guy. This guy that they're talking about, Jesus, this is the Messiah. And then there's also people who were not Jewish. They were Gentiles, which is what most of us would be unless you're of Jewish heritage, Gentiles outside of the Jewish faith who have heard this message, who have seen the miracles, who all of a sudden believe in this man named Jesus. And as they come together, they want to say, okay, now how do we do this day in and day out as a mixed group of believers? So let's just put this in modern day terms, right? All of you on this side of the room, raise your hands for me. All right, very good. You guys have all been believers for a long time. Let's say hypothetically, right? You grew up in church. 
Your parents brought you to church. Your grandparents probably took them to church. You know all of the old hymns. You know the new songs. You've got a list of Bible verses that you probably have memorized because faith has been a part of, of your being, been a part of your family as long as you can remember. And you have a solid foundation and faith. And if you were like the Jewish people, you have been waiting for this Messiah and all of a sudden the light bulb came on and you realized this is the Messiah. So you're excited about being a Christian because you realize it's all coming together as it's supposed to. All of you on this side, this is the rowdy side of the room, you can just wave your hands like you don't care, right? You guys, you haven't been living for Jesus at all, right? You've been more interested uh, in hitting the next party where you're going to get your next thrill. That's been your life as long as you can remember. You may have not grown up in church. Maybe your parents did and you ran away from it. But for your life, you have just been running. You have been on the outside of all of this. But something has happened in your life and you heard the message of God and your life has been transformed. So now you are excited about Jesus as well. So we have a room full of people who are excited about what Jesus is doing in your life, but you come from two very different perspectives. And you guys are blown away by the grace of God. That God would love you so much that he would forgive your past. That he would set you free from the things that you have struggled from. And then you guys on this side of the room, you say we are so happy that that side of the room is here with us. And now that you're Christians, we need to let you know about a few things that you need to begin doing. And we need to let you know about some things that you definitely need to stop doing. Right? Because they're, they're brand new believers. They don't know, right? So this side of the room, we have to help these guys out over here. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 15. You've got a group of people who have been in the faith for all of their lives. And then you've got people who are brand new to the faith. And as these brand new people show up, they're saying, Hey, we're so glad that you guys are believers. We're believers too. Now that you're believers, you also need to become Jewish. Right? Because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's the Messiah that you guys have been waiting for all of your lives. So now that you're believers, here's what we do as Jews. We have certain laws about the way we eat. We have laws about the way we behave. We have laws about when we don't work and don't do things. Right? We have laws about the way that you handle your body, which is one of the main things that comes up here at the very beginning. So this side of the room is now going to tell you, now that you're a believer, this is what you have to do. Now that's important then, and that's also important now. Because every one of you have faced this maybe on one side of the fence or the other. right? Maybe you've been a believer all your life, and you're thinking, okay, listen... Those people over there, they need, to, they need to get their lives in order. They need to stop doing these things and start doing these things. Or maybe you're a new believer and you felt like, man, I want to serve God, but I feel like all you're giving me is a list of do's and don'ts. And that's not what I signed up for. And so that's the tension that is going to come up here in chapter 15. You've got people, these aren't just people who are showing up on Sunday morning. They are risking their lives to do what they are doing. 
And now you've got this tension that's building within the room because you've got this side of the room that's saying, hey, you're giving me all these do's and don'ts. And this side of the room that's saying, yeah, there's a reason for those do's and don'ts. And you have to do this. So when I say there's a tension, I'm saying it's not just that we, I don't like what you're saying. I'm saying it got to the point probably where it was like, hold me back, right? Because I am about to go rip that person's head off as these different views start to collide in chapter 15. Because they show up and they say, this side of the room, guys, you have to be circumcised. Sorry for any parents in the room that might need to explain that later, right? I mean, you guys think it's awkward when we tell you to turn around and shake hands, Right? I mean, you're like, oh, God, I have to shake somebody's hand. How would you like to show up at this church service? Right? I mean, hey, thank you all for being here for the first time today. Ladies, we have a free mug for you out in the foyer. Guys, if you'll meet us in room 20 right after the service, you get a free bottle of Tylenol and a note from the doctor so you don't have to go to work tomorrow. Right? Because if you're going to be one of us, that's what you have to do. Right? I mean, this... This was a big stretch, right? I mean, if you wanted to be a believer and fit into this culture, this was a big thing that you had to face. So we're going to see, as we look at this, as this argument unfolds, there's going to be several people that speak to it. Let's pick up in verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them and argued vehemently. All right, that means it was on. That means the rest of you just grab your popcorn and watch because this this drama is getting really good. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So it got to the point where they said, okay, let's get to the bottom of it. Let's have an answer once and for all. You guys go back down to Jerusalem Talk to to the head guys, and let's get this ironed out right now. And the argument is really simply this. It's relevant then, it's relevant today. Do I have to do more than simply have faith in Christ to be a Christian? Because that's what this dispute was over. The Jewish believer said, yes, In order for you to be a Christian, you not only need to believe, but you also need to follow the Jewish laws. The question is still true for us today, right? Do you have to do more than just have faith to be a Christian? And inside your head, you're you're probably on one side or the other already because there are those of you in here who understand, man, it's the grace of God that set me free. And then there's others of you in this room who go, yeah, but... It is the grace of God that set you free, but that doesn't mean you can go do X, Y, and Z. It doesn't mean you can continue living doing A, B, and C, right? You've got some things you need to get out of your life, and you've got some things that you need to put into your life. That's where these guys were at. So there's going to be four people that we're going to see in the text today that speak to this issue. First of all, it's Peter. We'll pick up with him in verse 7. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. As follows, brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. He confirmed that he accepted the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. 
for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by an undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. So to paraphrase, here's what Peter's saying. Listen, you guys know how Jesus came. That he was the real deal and that he changed all of our lives. And then the other thing I want you to understand he's saying is, he's saying to this side of the room, are you kidding me? You're going to ask this side of the room to be sinless and you guys have never been able to be sinless. You're going to ask them to live up to a standard that you haven't been able to live up to, your parents weren't able to live up to, your grandparents weren't able to live up to, we have never been able to live up to the standard of the law. So why are we going to ask them to do it? So he brings up this point. We, last week, he really kind of, we see in the text that it's not the law that saves us. It's the law that reminds us that we need to be saved. So Peter reminds them, it's not the law that sets us free. It's the law that reminds us that we need to be set free. The next uh, testimony we see here are Paul and Barnabas. And they're going to stand up and they're going to talk about chapters 13 and 14. They're going to say, we went down to Cyprus. We get there. We get to meet with the governor. And there's this sorcerer there. And Paul says, and I said, be blind. And he was blind, you know. And he's going to start telling these stories about how people's lives were changed. One after the other. In verse 12, it says this, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And then there's James. James is going to be the next person to show up and speak to this. And this is really where I want to land today. There's several James throughout the New Testament. This particular James was was not the Apostle James that we see earlier. This is Jesus' brother, James. And Jesus' brother James goes on to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which is where we find this meeting occurring. So he's, he's the big dog there. This is Jesus' brother. And he's going to begin speaking to the, those, these things. He's also the guy who goes on and writes the book of James, which talks very much about the grace of God, but also about how we are supposed to live. So he's going to address these things. As he addresses these things, he's going to make references back to the Old Testament. So he's talking to this half of the room over here, you Jewish people that know all the Old Testament and the Scriptures. He's going to refer back to these things about how Jesus came and goes all the way back to the line of David. He's going to build this case that says this is the Messiah and this is why we're following him. And he's going to basically explain to us that salvation comes through the Jewish world, to the Gentiles. The Messiah has come to you to set you free, but then the love of God also spreads to everyone who would believe in Him. He sets up a case that it is faith and grace. It is by our faith and the grace of God, when they collide, we have salvation. This is... um, to give you a, a theological word here, and I try not to do that too much, just to kind of 
keep it, keep it plain and simple where we can all understand it. But there's a phrase called substitutionary atonement. And that's a big word, right? A big phrase. But you, you understand if you break it up. Substitute. You understand substitute, right? When you went to elementary school, you're here at Hebner, your teacher's sick. What happens? You get a substitute. Somebody who comes in and takes your teacher's place. Atonement, that's a little bit more of a churchy word that we don't use as often, but you understand this as well. If you get a speeding ticket and you have to go pay that ticket, when you pay the fine that you owe, you make atonement for that debt. So substitutionary atonement means that a substitute has come to pay the debt for your sin. And that's what James is describing here. There has been a Messiah, a Messiah that has come to take the place for the debt that you and I, we could never pay. So he's making that very clear. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. As I started thinking of these scriptures, they, they just kept coming. So I just want to highlight a few of these. We don't I even have these on the screen. But Romans 3, 23 through 24. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, yet He freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from our penalty of sin. Romans 5.18 Yes, Adam's one sin condemned everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Galatians 1, 3 and 4 says... For may God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father had planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Ephesians 1, 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son Jesus and forgave our sins. And lastly, Colossians 1, 3, and 14. For he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Do you see what James is explaining here? We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But it's the grace of God that gives you the opportunity to have faith in him that we might have salvation. It's the grace of God that gives us those things. But where we struggle is, but if I have faith, doesn't that mean fill in the blank? This also has to accompany it. And that was the crux of the argument here. But the truth is, there's nothing that you did to earn your salvation There's nothing that you can do to lose your salvation if it is God who has sent Jesus to take our place. So here's James. He's talking about this grace and this faith. And now how do we live that out? And then he says this in verses 19 through 21. And so my judgment, we'll pause right there. So he's been talking about this. He's been building this case. And so he's going to say, okay, now here's my answer to the argument that you guys are having. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city, on every Sabbath, for many generations. 
So here's Peter, and he's saying it's the grace of God and the faith, period. That's it. And then Paul and Barnabas show up, and they say, yes, it is just the work of Jesus. Grace and faith, period. And then James, the third guy, gets up and echoes that and says, yes, it is just the grace of God. That's all you need for salvation. Now, would you stop doing all of these things, and would you start doing these other things? So what just happened here? Is James saying both things? In a way, it seems like he is. Because he's saying, yes, it's just grace and faith. But here's all the things that you need to not do. And here's things that you should be doing. Now, what happened here is that we move from an issue of salvation to an issue of fellowship. Salvation is what Jesus has done So that we could be his forever. That seal is put on there. We are adopted as his. But then we move to an issue of fellowship. Of okay how do we get along with one another. And James addresses that. Jesus is the reason that you're saved. Whether you're on this side of the room. Or that side of the room. But now we've got to learn to all get along together. So that the light of Christ goes even farther. And this message goes even louder. And in order to do that. We need to have some ground rules about how we get along with one another. It shifts from what does God require of me as a Christian to how do I live this out with fellow believers. It moves from how do you get in to how do you behave once you are in as a child of God. So what is James saying here? He's saying that we're saved by grace and faith, period. But he's saying if you want to reach the people around you, You need to be aware of the culture that is around you. And you also need to be aware of what has changed you. Your life should look different than the world around you. At this time, when they were here, they were surrounded by people who were worshiping in pagan religions. And James is saying, your life should look different from theirs because Jesus has changed your life. But you also need to be aware of all of the customs and lives around you. So if grace and faith are what bring us salvation, then we also need to let love and wisdom lead our behavior with one another. Grace and salvation lead our salvation. Love and wisdom lead our behavior. So it's still an issue that we face every day. If I'm a Christian, can I? You can fill in the blank, right? And uh, we're, we're going to take a look at this because this is, this is something that I think all of us face. If I'm a Christian, can I do this? Should I stop doing that? And as we look at that, we have to ask ourselves those same questions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're not going to read all that today because it's really the whole chapter, but it's a great chapter on a filter for your life of how you make decisions. We're going to look at just a few highlights of principles that we see in that. But if you're a Christian, if you're now a believer, can you... Fill in the blank. As a matter of fact, I asked Google this week these very questions. Does a Christian have to? And you see a whole list right there. Can Christians eat pork? Can they drink? Can they get tattoos? Can they smoke weed? Can they do yoga? Can they do yoga and smoke weed at the same time? Can they meditate? Can they be cremated? Can they drink wine? Can they eat shrimp? Can they eat meat? I mean, you see a whole list here. And these are things that people wonder about. These are the top things that have been asked to Google with these same questions. So this was a big issue to the church 
as it first began. It's still an issue for us today because some of you look at that list and you go, yes, yes, no, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And others of you on different questions would say, no, no, yes, yes. So depending on where you're from, you may have different answers to these questions yourself. So I want to give you four simple questions that you can ask yourself in how we live with one another. Question number one is this. Can I do this? And I don't mean physically, can I do this? Physically, can I do yoga? That's not what I'm asking. Can I do this? Number one, is there a law against it? If it is illegal, no. You cannot do that. I mean, you can, but you might get arrested, right? Can I do this? But mainly, does the Word of God have to say a yes or a no about what you're wondering about? Is there, is there anything clear in the Bible that says you should not do this? You should stay away from this. You should do this, right? So, you know, your boss is driving you crazy and you want to pick up a brick and throw it at his head and murder your boss. Can I do that? Well, let's, let's check the Bible real quick. Thou shall not murder, right? There's a clear no. You cannot go kill your boss, right? And I know I'm being silly, and we have real things that we're dealing with in our life. But the first question is simply, can I do this? And if there's no command against it, then it kind of becomes a gray area. It kind of becomes like some of those things on Google where some of you might say yes, and some of you might say no. So the next question is this, should I do this? Just because you can doesn't mean you should right? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's something that you should go do. Just because you can't find a clear do not in the Bible still doesn't mean that you should go do it. So you have to ask yourself, should I do this? In other words, does my conscience have a problem with this? Or more accurately, do you have a check in your spirit about it? If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is within you. And there are times when you just feel like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. And you can probably remember times when you felt that way and you did it anyway. And you can look back and go, man, I wish I would have listened. I wish I wouldn't have said yes when I should have said no. So can you do it? Should you do it, right? Uh, Things that are just abundant in our culture that are gray areas. Should I drink alcohol? Should I go dancing? Should I play cards? Can I go to the movies? Can I wear makeup? Can I smoke? Can I get a tattoo? Can I be an Aggie fan? These are all matters of conscience, right? Oh, man, things are going to start getting thrown now. I mean, if your conscience allows you, then go for it, I guess, you know. But No, but seriously, these are things that You know people who come from very strict backgrounds. You know people who come from very liberal backgrounds where anything's okay. And so we can look at these things and go, yeah, I don't know. I know people who are right with it. And I know people that are absolutely opposed to it that say, if you're a Christian, you cannot. Right? So where do we fall on those issues? Can I? And then should I? And So let me just take one of these as an example, and I hope I'm not getting too controversial, but this is where we are. It's our culture, and we're at Rock Hills here. So alcohol. Can I drink alcohol, right? There is nothing in the Bible that says do not drink alcohol. 
And there may be some of you that go, oh, I know a scripture or whatever. On any of these things, I'd be happy to talk to you anytime. I I search this. I study. There's nothing that says do not drink alcohol. There is a scripture that says do not get drunk. Right? I mean, the Bible is very clear about that. And that's a matter of, of moderation. Right? Because it also says the same thing about food. Right? It says do not commit gluttony. Do not overeat. Right? So we've got this issue where, okay, the Bible doesn't say no, but is it okay? And there's some of you, probably many of you here in the room, they're like, yeah, I mean, there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. There are also some of you here in the room who would say, absolutely not. We should not drink alcohol. And you come from different viewpoints on that. Just to speak to you personally, I I told you, my belief, I look at the Bible, I don't see anything that says do not drink. However, I myself do not drink. It's not because I feel like the Bible says it's wrong, but when I was a young man and I committed my life to ministry many, many years ago, it was something that I gave to God and I said, God, I, I never even want to touch that because I want to commit my life to you in this manner. And so it was just something that I laid down and I said, God, that's yours. And so I don't know where you're at on that, but it comes to an issue of should I? Can I? Should I? The next thing we want to ask is this. What does my weakness require of me? Because you all know that you have weaknesses and you have limits. You have things that will trigger you, right? That will send you into a loop. So since we just used the example of alcohol, for some of you, it's not a matter of can I or should I, it's a matter of you know that you can't stop at one, right? You know if you start, you go straight up to the number one of can I, where it says do not get drunk, you know if you have one drink, exactly where it's going to lead, right? Or, I mean, this could be a lot of things. For it. Maybe your past had to do with going to clubs and it was a dark place for you, so for you, you would say, Does my weakness want me to dance? Well, there's nothing wrong with dancing, but it takes me to a dark place in my life. So you have to ask yourself, what does your weakness require of you? The way that you are wired, the experiences that you have been through. For all of you, there are things that may be all right in other people's lives, but for you, it's a no. You just can't do it because you know it will distract you from following Jesus. Or maybe it even elevates something to a place above God. You know that if you allow, maybe it's something good like a hobby. Something, you know if you put this in your life, it's going to become more important to you than God. And all of a sudden you're not going to church anymore. You're not connecting with people anymore. It's all you think about because it's your weakness, even though it may be something positive. And the last question is this. What does love require of me? Can I? Should I? What does my weakness require? And then next, what does love require of me? So as I think of this, I think there are things in my life that I can do. There are things in my life that I go, well, it's, it's fine. I, I got I pass number two as well. Should I? It's not a weakness for me, but maybe I know if I did it, if I participated in it, it would cause some of you to go astray. All right, I mean, let's just say for wild example, I show up 
next week and I'm driving a $500,000 Ferrari and it is gorgeous. And it just happens that I got this incredible inheritance. It didn't put my family in debt. I had the money. So does the Bible say anything about it? No. Uh, should I? Well, I've got the money. It's not putting my family in debt, so I'm all right with that. Is it a weakness for me? No, it's just, it's just a nice pleasure. There are some of you that would go, praise God, Adam, you, you know, you're, you're blessed. Drive that Ferrari, enjoy it, have fun. There's others of you that would show up and go, I'm not giving my tithe here. Pastor just showed up in a Ferrari, right? My, what does love require of me? Love requires of me to think of everyone around me. Is this going to be a problem for me? Is it going to be a problem for those around me? So as we consider whether you've been following God all of your life or whether you're brand new to the faith, can I do it? Should I do it? What does my weakness require of me? And what does love require of me? Speaking of love, we're going to celebrate communion together because this is the ultimate symbol. The fact that God has made the way for every one of us, regardless of if you're new to the faith or you've been walking with God all your life, we're all on a level playing ground, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So the band's going to come out and lead us in a song. If you guys would, we'll start at the back of the room and come up the outside aisles. You can grab the elements and then go back down the inside aisle and be seated and we'll take it together in just a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have set us free. Father, by the blood of Jesus, that we are forgiven and free, that every one of us, Jew or Gentile, new to the faith or old to the faith, Father, we have been set free because of the blood of Jesus. And we want to take this time before we share in communion just to say we surrender all. May even be some here, Father, that just need to take this moment to say, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, to forgive me, to be the substitutionary atonement for my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.